So if you can, um, if you can find, if you can turn to the book of Colossians, um, that'll be helpful. If you don't know where it is, let me help you. Uh, go eat peaches and cream. That's how I remember it. Go eat peaches and cream. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Helpful? You look really impressed. Um, that might actually be the only thing you learn this morning, so savour it. Uh, we're starting our new sermon series this morning. Uh, the Apostles Paul, to, uh, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians. Interestingly, that's what this book is essentially all about. A lot of contributions this morning. The absolute sufficiency of Christ. That come what may, Paul tells the Colossians, come what may, Jesus is enough. The former uh, Bishop of Durham. Tom Wright, he wrote this about the, uh, the book of Colossians. The main reason why the Colossians should give thanks to God is because of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, what I plan to do really is give you a brief overview um, of the whole letter, um, an introduction if you like, and it won't be too long. So if you've got a Bible open, let's kick off. Let's start by reading the first two verses. This is a rich and intimate greeting from the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae. So Colossians 1, 1 to 2. Go eat peaches and cream. Have you found it? Good. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Let's pray. Yeah, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have much bigger plans and purposes than we think you have. I thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign, that you are in control, that come what may, you are always enough. And I pray, Lord God, as um, we open, as we start this sermon series, we come into a deeper understanding of you, a, comp- uh, a deeper intimacy with you, a deeper longing for you and for everything that you want. Holy Spirit, like um, Peter showed us this morning, a Holy Spirit, fill us until we are brimming over. And as we bump into people, we pray, Holy Spirit, People meet you, get drenched by you. Rain pour on us uh, as we hear your word this morning. So, Colossians, four headings this morning. Who, when, where, and why. Okay? Who, when, where, and why. So, who wrote it? Whenever you read um, commentaries and study books, does anybody read commentaries and study books about the Bible? Come on, on up to it. Are there any geeks here this morning? I'm just kidding. Just me, yeah. Whenever you read these commentaries um, and study books about the Bible, you always get controversies, don't you? Who really wrote it? When was it really written? Was it just a fake? You see, we live in an age of controversy, don't we? And speculation. Who really killed Princess Diana? They're still asking that question. Who really shot JFK? Were the moon landings for real? How about this one? When is the next iPhone 5 coming out? <laughs> Matthew knows that. 
So who wrote Colossians? Now, there are lots of answers to this question. There really are. There are lots of answers to this question. But the most obvious and convincing one is the Apostle Paul. Verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. That's how he kicks off his letter. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter. And do you know what? That is completely amazing. Are you amazed by that? You look really amazed. Well, when when the Colossian church received this letter, they were amazed. You see, who was the Apostle Paul? This man was the most unlikely man to be writing this book. If you were a Christian in the early church, you would have been stunned to receive a letter from this guy. You might have even been a little bit worried. You see, Paul, before his conversion to Christianity was a well-known guy. Saul of Tarsus, they they called him. He was one of the Jewish religious elite, top of the pops, holy man. He was a Pharisee. He came from a family of Pharisees. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. The The real deal from the ancient Jewish tribe of Benjamin. He was a tough cookie to crack. If you think your friends are hard to preach to, This guy was a tough cookie to crack. He was also a very clever guy, educated at the feet of a man called Gamaliel, one of the leading authorities in the Supreme Jewish Council. To the world of his time, this man, Paul, was very, very important and highly regarded. And as such was his, and such was his acclaim that even Rome recognized him as an honorary citizen very rarely granted to outsiders. Paul wasn't going to change his mind easily. And on top of that, Paul was a devout Jew. In fact, such was his zeal and passion for Jewish values and his Jewish view of the holy covenant God of Israel, Yahweh, that he devoted his life to persecuting and slaying the disciples of Jesus. That's what his life's mission was about, to stamp out the Christian faith. When the first Christian martyr, Stephen, was killed, it was Paul who sanctioned this and stood by and looked on as the people stoned him. And now, the church receives a letter from this guy. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you might be thinking, you know what, I'm not sure I can believe all this stuff about Jesus and about the Bible. Well, can I point something out? Whatever your barriers are or have been to believe in Christianity, they might be cultural ones, intellectual, brainy ones, personal ones maybe. Let me put it to you. The Apostle Paul's barriers to believing the gospel, the message of Christianity, Jesus, was much, much greater than yours. Yet he did. He did. So much so that he devoted the rest of his life 
after his conversion to preaching and teaching about Jesus. So much so that he spent his life planting churches all across the Mediterranean basin. So much so that he was one of the most influential Christian missionaries in the history of the Christian church. This man went through beatings and rejection and humiliation and hunger and harsh imprisonment and ultimately execution. He gave up absolutely everything for Jesus, even his very life. A man called Blaise Pascal says, I believe the men who get their throats cut. How come? How come? How come this apostle, this Jew, this devout Jew, the Apostle Paul, made such a U-turn in his life? How come? What explains it? I'll tell you what explains it. For the same reason why three million people across this globe from different cultures and backgrounds and ethnic groups and age groups worship Jesus to this day. Same reason. Why? Because he had come face to face with the truth and reality of Jesus, the person. It happened to him on the Damascus Road. He'd come face to face with Jesus, the God-man. Jesus, the history changer. Jesus, the life and soul transformer. That's why. The evidence and experience of Jesus' life and death and resurrection were no match for Paul's deep-seated intellectual and cultural barriers. Jesus had broken into his life to the point that he could say, even in this letter, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. Colossians 1, Colossians 4, I'm in chains for the gospel, the good news, the message of Jesus. If you're not a Christian here this morning, like with Paul, the reality of Jesus could break into your life right now. It'll cost you. Boy, it'll cost you. But just like the Apostle Paul came to realize, there is no other rational response. Are you rational this morning? Jesus Christ can change you completely if you let him. And if you already trust, most of us, trust and treasure Jesus as the one who came to save you, I believe he wants to enter into our lives even more over the next few months as we study this letter. Make his presence known even more. Challenge us, provoke us in places maybe we don't want to go, even maybe we don't dare to go. Paul says in Colossians 1.9, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Are you up for that? So who wrote Colossians? Wow. When, secondly, when did he write it? This letter was written in AD 60, only 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. That is important. Do you know that? That's really important. Are you amazed by that too? A bit more. 
You see, if you wanted to make up stories of Jesus and how he shook up the world, you would at least wait until all the eyewitnesses of Jesus had died, wouldn't you? Maybe in the next generation, maybe a few hundred years on. That would be the time to write a legend. For instance, if you, you might want to say, you know what, Jesus, between his preaching engagement, would fly through the sky, um, causing supernovas in the sky. That would get people excited, wouldn't it? You'd take, you'd take Jesus seriously then, wouldn't you? A few hundred years on, that would be much more difficult to, prove, to disprove, wouldn't it? But if you said those things only 30 years after he died, people would say, hold on, you're talking rubbish, if they were polite. I was there. You wouldn't get away with it. You certainly wouldn't be able to start a world movement of three billion followers across the globe. Think about it. If the message of Jesus wasn't true, it wouldn't happen. I know many non-Christians who are just amazed at how seriously we take the Bible. I also know quite a few Christians who over the years have found themselves questioning whether what they are reading is really true. Particularly when they're going through tough times. Particularly when they're maybe veering out of the will of God. Do you really believe this stuff? Have you really given up so much for what is written here? What if it's just all a myth? Let me tell you this. You can wholeheartedly trust the Bible. History, evidence, and God tells us so. The Bible is God's unshakable truth. And you know what? We need to respond to it as such. So this letter was written in AD 60. Very important. Paul actually wrote it uh, while in prison in Rome. He wrote a lot of letters in prison. Uh, What letters did Paul write in prison? A lot. That's one answer. What Paul did, what letters did Paul write? Philippians. Ephesians. Philemon. Yeah. He wrote lots of letters um, in prison. In fact, Paul, when we, read, when we look at Acts, he went to prison quite a lot of times. You know what? I think we can take heart from this. As most of you know, I'm a GP. Um, and our practice over the years have, has been involved um, in looking after patients in prison settings. I've worked in home house um, a few times. Um, on a number of occasions. And let me tell you, you know what? Home house is really not a nice place to be. In fact, my first impression of home house uh, when I was on an induction day there was what a tragic place to end up. Awful. But let me also say this. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But let me also say this. Compared to Paul's imprisonments, to Paul, the Apostle Paul's imprisonments, home house would have seemed like a holiday camp. The suffering, the hardship, the humiliation, the hunger would have been far greater than anything we can even compare to in this country. Some of you from other nations 
where persecution is the normal, you might be able to relate to this better. The Apostle Paul's suffering, many of us wouldn't be able to even get our heads round. Yet despite this, in fact, in the midst of this, Paul writes, such encouraging, hope-filled, Jesus-exalting, uplifting, intimate letters to the people and the churches he loved. Colossians is one of them. He could declare that in Christ, trusting Jesus, dwelling on his truth, can not only get you through by the skin of your teeth, but much, much more than that. Uh, A a Bible teacher, C.J. Mahaney, writes this about suffering. There is no greater encouragement and no greater motivation for everything that God has called you to do and go through in life than to recognize his, Jesus' love for you in his darkest hour on the cross and receive his care for you in your darkest hour. Take heart, Jubilee. Be confident. Rejoice in him like Paul did, even through the tough and difficult times. What are you going through? What are you going through? Has your husband or wife left you? Have you lost your job? Have you got cancer? Do you miss your family back home in another country? Have you been abused or tortured? I know these are real things. Look, whatever it is, Jesus is enough. He really is. That just sometimes slips off our tongue very easily. But Jesus is enough. In his suffering, the Apostle Paul knew Jesus' suffering. In the Apostle Paul's suffering, he knew Jesus' suffering was his highest and best source of comfort. Why? Because in Christianity, we have a God who can sympathize completely and utterly with suffering. Because only in Christianity do we have a saviour who suffered far more than we will ever have to. There's a famous um, poem by Edward Shiletto called Jesus of the Scars. And he writes this, The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And no God has wounds, but thou, Jesus, alone. That's what Paul knew from the very bottom of his heart. If you're suffering here this morning, whatever it is, God, the Holy Spirit, wants you to know and feel And hear the reality that Jesus is enough, more than enough. So who, the Apostle Paul, when, when? Heady 60, only 30 years after Jesus' death, writing from prison, suffering. Next up, where? Where's Colossae? Where's Colossae? No, I didn't ask you what you had for uh, Christmas dinner, Paul. (laughs) Turkey. Turkey. Um, Sorry, Colossae was an ancient city in Asia Minor, or what is now known as Turkey. Some of you might have been there on holiday. I've actually highlighted Leodith Lususia. 
But it was a better map, you see. But Colossae is just next to it. And Ephesus is over there. And there's two other towns, Heraclius and Laodicea, which were bigger towns. So it was in Asia Minor or Turkey. Some of you might have been on there on holidays, I've just said. You won't see much there now. A lot of it hasn't actually been excavated or dug up. It was situated along the Lycus River, which you might just be able to see there, which was a major trade route. A century or two before Paul actually wrote this letter, Colossae was a thriving and buzzing place. But as time went on, it gradually became upstaged by its surrounding bigger cities, the ones around it, Laodicea and Herapolis. By the first century, Colossae wasn't much, a pla- wasn't much of a place to talk about at all, really. Let me kind of put it differently. Let me put it into context. It wasn't Newcastle. It wasn't Leeds. It was like Teesside. Get it? Paul didn't start this church. He probably didn't even visit it. One of his close fellows, a fellow workers, a prisoner with him actually, Epaphras, heard the gospel from Paul and probably, uh, probably while he was in Ephesus, and then he travelled over there and he planted a church back in his hometown. Yet clearly, although Paul had never visited it, never knew them, although the world viewed the city as a city in decline, a city not even worth bothering much about, a city very much in the shadow of its big brothers, a bit like Teesside. This church was very much on Paul's heart. This church was very much on God's heart. Jubilee. Teesside is very much on God's heart. People might think it as, think of uh, Middlesbrough as uh, Britain's worst place to live. Did you see the Channel 4 program, Location, 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 a few years ago? People might have described Middlesbrough as an an unhealthy town full of drug addicts, smokers and binge drinkers. You might have heard them um, tell you, I'm just quoting stuff here, 99% of the residents never exercise, a a few eat healthily, where robbery, burglary, sexual assault, violent crimes and car theft are all more than the UK, uh, twice the UK's average. It said it might be a place full of declining, um, heavy industry, derelict buildings and smog. Do you remember the programme? That's what they said, didn't they? You know what? That's exactly why Teesside is on God's heart. That's exactly why. Jesus said in Mark 2, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. Tim Keller writes, uh, a New York pastor, Tim Keller, he writes, the church is a hospital for sinners. Jubilee. God hasn't called us to be, as it says in 1 Peter, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, just to stay in our secluded palaces, away from the rabble of Teesside. Nowhere. We are here to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. To our brothers and sisters out there, our families, our neighbours, God's special, dearly loved creation. Jubilee, we are 
Jubilee, we are a people whose very being is rooted in our God-given Isaiah 61 commission. Listen, Teesside is very much on God's heart. And if it's on God's heart, it should be very much on our heart. How are you serving the place you live in? Are you being deliberate in what you do? Are you making your local big group, your lo- the local expression of Jubilee Church, are you making big group a priority? What are you doing with your money? Paul starts this letter to God's holy people in Colossae, in Christ. Never, never forget, we dwell in two places at once. In Teesside, in Christ. You might be thinking, how on earth did I end up in Teesside University? You might wish you were back in Tehran or Eritrea or even Canada. But I just want to reiterate what Paul Woodward said last week. You were sent here. God sent you here. Teesside is very much on God's agenda and you are part of his agenda. Serve diligently. Serve faithfully. Persevere. So Paul, sorry, sorry, so who? Paul, when? AD 60. Where did he write it to? Colossae. Finally, why? Why did he write this letter? And as I've I've read Colossians, I've heard Colossians, I've got this CD um, in my car and I've just been listening to Colossians again and again and, and as I've been listening to it and as, as I've been kind of reading it, the phrase that really came up that I felt sums up why Paul wrote this very intimate, truth-packed letter is this. Theology matters. Theology matters. It's really important. It really does. So what's theology? Reminds me of that British telecom advert. He's got so many ologies. <laughs> can't remember how it goes. What's theology? The study of God. Yeah, quite simply. The theology is the study of God. Knowing God. A greater understanding and knowledge of him. As Wikipedia uh, would have you believe, it's not just for the university folk or the college professor. No, theology, theology is for all of us whether we believe in it or not, actually. You can't be a rational and reasonable person in the 21st century and not want to know about God. You can't. Andrew Wilson, uh, uh, a church leader down south, writes this. "Um, I believe that there is nothing anywhere that is more worth reading about and responding to than the character of God. In fact, I'm convinced that if your knowledge of God doesn't grow then neither will you. Don't get caught up by the laziness of our time, fueled with the distractions of life. I don't need theology. That's for the boring geeks like me. What's important is how I feel. My experience with God. Who I think God is. My Jesus. Sounds good, doesn't it? Let me tell you, that thinking doesn't stand fast when storms approach, when doubts set in, when temptation comes your way. And by the way, if those things haven't happened to you yet, you're, very, you're either very young 
Um, it will. Just give it time. What matters then in those times is not our up and down feelings and what we think. What matters, matters then is the unshakable truth and character of God. Who he is, who he has always been, what he has achieved, the very reason we can rely on him. You know what? Theology really matters. So I want to end very quickly now, um, very briefly, just give you a few quick-fire reasons why I think theology matters. Why Paul spends a lot of his letter describing to them the nature and work of Jesus. Why Why he thinks theology is important. Firstly, theology exposes the lies of this world. This letter was written to a relatively young church, a a vulnerable church. As time went on, some cracks started appearing in their understanding of the gospel and the message of Jesus. People were being swayed by the ever-changing thinking and philosophy and the wisdom of the age. There was some confusion, there was some false teaching. Their Christianity was being mixed and distorted. A bit of Jewish rules and regulations. A bit of Greek philosophy. A bit of Oriental mysticism. (coughs) Their gospel was being contaminated. And you know what? That is happening to us today. Just listen to the telly, the radio. Just look at some of the churches that are being built, even on Teesside. We live in a postmodern world. What does the church think about marriage? Do we know? What does the church think about sex? What does the church think about the poor? What does the church think about politics? Over time, the world's thinking can gradually start creeping in, distorting our understanding of God and what he's called us to do, distorting the very gospel of Jesus. Jubilee, more than ever, more than ever, In this world, we need the real gospel, the real Jesus. This world needs the real gospel. As I felt God was saying last week, and I shared it, your gospel, my gospel, is too small. Paul declares in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Theology matters. Secondly, theology matters for the church. Gordon Fee, um, when looking at the writings of Paul, asked the question, if someone claims to love Jesus and isn't involved in the life of the church, is he truly saved? Mm. His answer is this, only God knows. Why does he say that? It's controversial, isn't it? He says it because he doesn't see it in the Bible. He doesn't see in the early church Christians living life apart from the church. When you study God, when you, when you look at a community, you see that community is in the very heart of who God is, the glorious, loving Trinity. I remember Andrew Jackson preaching about that quite a while ago now. As we build church together, live church together, the character of God is the only basis by which we do that. You see, it's 
God's multicolored wisdom or the manifold wisdom of God that we read about in Ephesians, which is the foundation of building our church of different nations, isn't it? It's not just because it sounds good or everybody else is doing it. No, it's because it's God's plan and will and purpose to build a church with Iranians, Africans, Indians, Koreans, Iraqians, British guys. Colossians 3 says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Jesus is the reason why different age groups, different backgrounds come together in a world that likes spending a lot of its time with its own kind. If the church is not based on the character of God, it's just a club. People can come and go on their own terms. But if God sets the agenda, then this community, Jubilee Church, is not optional for you. It's at the very heart of our our ability to get to know and understand God and each other and humanity more. Are you fully participating and serving the life of this church? If not, why not? Theology matters. Theology matters also because of mission. In the Bible, reaching out is always rooted into the character of God. It's what motivates us. Paul, after unpacking the enormity and majesty and glory of Jesus, then says, pray for us that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. When we stop caring about who God is, our passion to reach out fizzles out. Jubilee, we have a commission, as I've said, rooted in theology, rooted in scripture, rooted in mission. Isaiah 61 says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. We heard this last week. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. As we've, been talk, as we've been talking as elders and, and wider groups of people, how we restructure our uh, activities and groups in Jubilee, I sometimes have heard people saying, I don't feel connected anymore. We're losing relationship. What about pastoral care? Good questions. In fact, some people have left Jubilee over those questions. I hear what you're saying. We hear what you're saying. We agree with some of it. In fact, we were talking with Jeremy Simpkins, the guy who used to lead this church a while ago. We were talking to him about it. It's very important. But hear this. We are not called just to be a holy huddle, looking after each other, drinking tea, protected from the world out there. That's not biblical. Our relationship building, which is very important, should always be done on the move with purpose on a mission together. Let me put it differently. We pastorally care for one another. We disciple one another serving God. Jesus never did it any other way. Theology matters. And finally, theology matters because it fuels worship. There's lots of reasons why theology is important. Knowing God, understanding him. 
But this is the biggest, worship. Andrew Wilson writes, we cannot worship what we do not know. We cannot delight in what we have not seen. You know what? The world's best worshippers were theologians. Not academics. I'm not talking about academics. I'm not talking about scholars. I'm not talking about Bible geeks. But theologians. People who have glimpsed the wonder and beauty of our living God. Experienced his truth. Missionaries like William Carey and Hudson Taylor and China and Jim Elliot. Songwriters like Charles Wesley, Augustus Tepledi, Isaac Watts. Preachers like Whitfield, Spurgeon, Jonathan Edwards, Lloyd-Jones. These people are worshippers because they are theologians first. They have said and done great things because they have seen the greatness and glory of God. If our theology doesn't lead us to worship, something is wrong. Are you a theologian? Are you pursuing God every day? Is that your priority? Theology matters. Theology really matters. I think, have I got my final point over to you yet? (laughs) Who? When? Who's he writing to? Why? The band comes up. That'd be great. And so as we embark on Colossians, there's a band here. Oh yeah, sorry, I didn't make that very clear. Sorry, please, could the band come up? Thank you. <laughs> Sounded like I was giving you an order, sorry. And so, as we, as, and so as we embark on Colossians, I hope we're going to be begin, we're going to start a journey together into the character of God, an exciting journey into the holiness of God, into prayer and thanksgiving, in what that means in our day-to-day lives, in our relationships, in diversity, in marriage, in our parenting, at work, in church. Very practical stuff, very relevant to everyone. This is my prayer jubilee as we start this sermon series. That over the next few months, it says in Colossians 3.16, over the next few months, that the message of Christ will dwell in you richly. Did you hear that? That the message of Christ will dwell in you richly. Not just uh, words in a book or in your iPads or your iPhones. Or We heard a fantastic audio CD of Mark the other day on Friday. <laughs> I've never heard John Baptist um, speak sounding like Snoop Doggy Dog, but there you go. Um, come to the... No, no. Let the word, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. Yeah? That's what our prayer is over the next few years. That it will grow in us together. Bring us closer to God. Move us into action. Move us into prayer. Move us into a life and soul that is connected with Jesus. In his church, you and me. If you stand, let's pray. We're also going to take the cards and the collection. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for your truth. Thank you, Jesus, for this letter. Lord, as we um, 
as we hear it over the next few months, I pray, Lord God, that you will underline in our hearts that this is an intimate letter, not a textbook, not a list of theological principles, but a letter, an intimate letter. And I pray we receive it that way by your Spirit. I pray that these words come intimately alive in our hearts as we listen to it. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'll be with us over the next few months as we unpack your rich word of God. Be with us right now as we worship. Thank you.